Bailey, I am ready to get hurt again. Guess what I have for you? <laughs> get hurt again? <laughs> are, are you actually asking me this time? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. You give what, 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 what hint did you give That's me? That's right. Another plane crash. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Just as oh, terrifying no. and harrowing as those before it. Sit back, try to relax, and fasten your seatbelt as I recount the disastrous landing of United Airlines Flight 232. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Welcome to Calamity Janes, the weekly disaster podcast hosted by me, Madison. And me, Bailey. And we're going to talk all about disaster. Do you want to do the anything but plain? Okay, sorry. I didn't know if I skipped a little bit. No. I did it no, on the no. fly. It let my heart lead me. They don't have to know we're anything but plain Janes. It's fine. <laughs> we're two anything but plain Janes. Read you stories of disaster. Calamity. Got it. I'm Bailey. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, here we go. On July 19th, 1989, United Airlines Flight 232 departed from Denver and began to make its way to Chicago O'Hare. The aircraft, a DC-10, was captained by Alfred Haynes with Bill Records serving as co-pilot. Why are you shaking your head? Those DC-10s. Those DC-10s. Yeah, I know. Uh, Major problems. Yeah, so many problems. Uh, Bill Records was serving as co-pilot and Dudley Dvorak as flight engineer. All three men had extensive flying experience and knew DC-10s very well. There were 285 passengers and 11 crew aboard. Coincidentally, <laughs> uh, United was having a Children's Day ticket promotion where each child's seat was only one cent. So 52 of those passengers were children, including no. four lap children. No. Yeah, I know, man. No. This is not going to be fun. You don't say. <laughs> You don't say. Yeah. Uh, the, I didn't realize quite how horrendous this was. We, um, this was a listener request. And who, who did this? I don't know. I couldn't find it. Well, thank you for the suggestion. But actually, maybe don't. Because this sounds really. <laughs> no, this was a really good suggestion. It's just, well, what plane crash is fun? You know? The one where there are survivors? Well, we haven't done... Well, yeah, there's... Okay. Just... Just... just, Okay. Please. Okay. Flight 232 took off at 2.09 p.m. and for one hour and seven minutes flew peacefully through the clear, sunny skies on its way to Chicago. After beginning a right turn at 37,000 feet to establish a heading for Chicago, the number two engine mounted in the tail violently explodes. Oh, not okay. Yeah, so, not what I was expecting. So this plane has two uh, wing-mounted engines and an engine mounted in the tail. Got it. Just unlike the two wing-mounted engines plus two, kind of on the back. Right, just the one on the back. Yes, just so everyone okay. is aware. Okay. Um, passengers and crew heard a bang and felt shaking as the engine's fan disc ripped apart the aircraft's hydraulic system and supply hoses. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's a chronic uh, 
problem with DC-10s. Oh, yes, it is. There is yeah, a reason yeah. they are not flown anymore. Yeah. yeah. In an instant, the autopilot disengaged. In the 14 seconds immediately following the explosion, First Officer Records grabs his control column and Captain Haynes discovers that the throttle and fuel supply to the tail engine are kaput. So they can't speed up. They can't do anything. Oh, okay. They are literally gliding. Yeah. Uh, Flight engineer Dvorak cuts fuel to the tail engine. The hydraulic fluid drains and essentially eliminates the crew's ability to steer the plane. Oh, because it it probably disabled if they even had that little flap on the back they have. They lost their ability to like, what is it? It's like yaw or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And if you, with an aircraft, well, any commercial aircraft, but especially one as big as a DC-10, which holds several hundred people, hydraulics Mm -hmm. are very important. Hydraulics are what allows you to steer the plane with your controls yeah yeah were all hydraulics out or just the one to that flap oh yes so they no wing flaps not even not even the back wing they had they had absolutely nothing so the fluid drains and eliminates the crew's ability to steer the plane the aircraft Mm -hmm. rolls dramatically to the right Two minutes after the explosion, Captain Haynes discovers that if he throttles up on the right engine and down on the left, he can just barely maintain some control over the plane. And by some control, I mean keep it. So if it had continued to bank to the right like Mm -hmm. that, it would have inverted. And that's not a recoverable position for a plane to be in. So he was able to keep it from dramatic, like from inverting Yes. And kept it in just, like, a slight bank. A slight bank. A slight okay. bank. So it's continuing to bank, but only a few degrees. It's not a dramatic. No. Okay. This isn't... But they are just now going around in circles. Yes. Ideally, with the nose not pointed dramatically down. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So, at this point, although Captain Haynes has a teeny tiny semblance of control over the aircraft, the crew is still very much... In the troubleshooting phase. Sure. They contact United Maintenance personnel over the radio and are told that there are no procedures for what they are experiencing because a total loss of hydraulics on this particular aircraft was considered virtually impossible. Which is ironic given that that was like a chronic, not chronic, but like of the ways that that aircraft failed. Yes. (laughs) Tended to be it. Exactly. It's also at this point that the aircraft starts to experience what is called a fugoid cycle. A fugoid cycle is where an aircraft pitches up and climbs and then pitches down and descends. Okay. This happens because the aircraft experiences significant engine... Well, this aircraft experienced significant engine loss and as a result, a loss in airspeed. Oh, and so a loss in... I would have expected a loss of airspeed to just lead to progressive rapid decline but it- okay so yes so and it's not like they're immediately losing all that speed a plane mm-hmm. level can glide for a very long time without mm-hmm. engine power so when the aircraft began to lose airspeed though after the engine failed it would pitch down and actually start to speed up which created oh. lift and would point the nose upwards This makes sense. Okay. This happened cyclically after the explosion, and each time that it did, the aircraft lost about 1,500 feet, or 460 meters. Over the course of how much time? Um, We're getting to that with how long this takes. So does that make sense, though, what that cycle is like? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's um just like like a wave motion. Do you have to have like great control of the plane? I would I'm what I'm imagining that you do have to have great control of the plane for that to happen because to me it would seem very easy to as you're progressively picking up speed on your descent if you don't know the appropriate time or way to pull up you could just keep going down. Mm-hmm. It's like you were there, Bailey. I'm just I I really am trying to put my self in the pilot shoes because I would not recommend the doing fact, that. That's going to be very stressful for you. <laughs> it is, but that but the fact that he's thinking so coolly where he I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. to go through this scenario that even the manufacturer is like, yeah, that's not supposed to happen, so we have no plan A for you, let alone a plan B or C. Yeah. And he's like, I figured out with this trick, I can play my engines off of each other and like keep this bird in the air for longer than 5 seconds. Like that to me is Incredible. Well, yeah, it absolutely is. It's kind of a miracle that he figured it out really quickly, what turned out yeah. to be the only trick to keeping them in the air. Yeah, that is just like, wow, good for him. Yeah. Incredible. It's also important to understand exactly where the plane is going now. So with the explosion and immediate sharp right turn right after that, the plane made a wide right turn that was 20 miles in diameter. Okay, so these are big circles. Yes. So all throughout these fugoid cycles where they're going up and down and the cruise attempts to keep the plane from losing complete control, the plane is still turning. They're continuing Mm -hmm. to make turns at 5 to 10 miles in diameter. Okay. So um, in the show notes are a couple of articles that I used for this. One of them has a diagram that shows you – it kind of – it like shows the flight path like once the engine exploded um and it looks kind of like if you drew uh the circle or the like wind direction of a tornado it kind of looks like that like if you threw a paper airplane out that's exactly what happens is like this the fugoid cycles and then no no i don't see there not my i was never okay my paper airplanes go right into the ground, so that's probably not the best visualization boat. for me. Yeah, I don't know how to build paper airplanes. <laughs> but, okay, so most, all you really need to know is we're still, we're continuing to go in circles. Yeah. There's not a whole lot we can do about that except to keep from going in really, really tight circles that flip us upside down, and we're continuing to go up and down, and we lose 1,500 feet every time we do. And that happens every couple of minutes. Okay, so it's over the course of minutes. It's almost yes. as... Almost as good as a vomit comet is yes. what I'm hearing. Like the parabolas that is of the basic. Yes, it's a parabolic yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah. Wow! In a stroke of incredible luck, there was a very helpful passenger aboard Flight 232 that day, Dennis Fitch, who happened to be a DC-10 flight instructor at the un- <laughs> at the United Training Facility, was on his way back home for the weekend. And he's like, "I'm off the clock." Yeah. What? What the heck? Yeah, so he's just there as a passenger. No one on the plane knows who he is or his credentials. So at this point, passengers had been notified that they lost an engine right after it happened because there was a an audible explosion and shaking. But they didn't know that hydraulics were lost. Um, and also that information probably wouldn't, Would have been, yeah, yeah. wouldn't have been as impactful to most passengers. Yeah. So when Fitch saw a flight attendant trying to conceal her panic on a trip back from the cockpit, he stopped her and tried to calm her down by saying, don't worry, this thing flies totally fine on two engines. 
The flight attendant quietly responded that the engines weren't the problem and that there were, in fact, no hydraulics. Did he jump out of his seat and run to the cockpit? Fitch told her that that was impossible and then asked her to notify the captain that he was on board and what his job was. Very quickly after that, he was taken to the cockpit where he took note of the palpable tension in the air. There was no panicking, but it was obvious that no one in the cockpit felt optimistic about the situation. I mean, what does he? I I mean, yeah, I don't think so. I think he walked in hoping to be able to tell them something they didn't already know about the airplane. Yeah. That did not happen. I, yeah, I mean, I know... I'm I'm sure he obviously he's incredibly experienced, but I don't know something about like walking into an active situation where, you know, tensions are high thinking that like they wouldn't be. Yeah. 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 Uh, So he after he pretty immediately figured out that he had absolutely nothing to add to that situation. So he was... Well, that's disheartening. I thought you were going to tell me and he saves the day. Well, no, he is very helpful. But like I said, he was hoping to walk in there and tell them, you know... Flip the switch. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know this plane up and down. Let me tell you what will help. Um, Yeah. And they were happy to have him. He was happy to help. But he, uh, the captain later said, he walked in and took one look at the control panel and realized he had... No, that was it. That was the extent of his knowledge. (laughs) Oh, no. So you said he's a flight instructor? Yes. For DC-10s. Okay, for DC-10s. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. With United, too. Um, so he was sent to observe the ailerons through a passenger cabin window to see if the cruise controls were actually doing anything. Okay. They were not. Oh. Fitch then went back to the cockpit to assist with handling the control columns, a task that required great physical strength. Because without hydraulics, they are manually exactly flying the plane yeah which they can still do i guess i didn't even think about that you're just out of computer and the helpful things but you could okay um so thankfully they still have communications and they uh it's a sunny day which really helps with a lot of things but sure yeah when you can't steer an airplane especially an airplane that size yeah oh my gosh Through communication with air traffic control, an emergency landing was arranged for the Sioux Gateway Airport in Sioux City, Iowa. So at this point, the main objective had gone from keeping the plane from banking so hard that it flips upside down to maintaining some control to now actually landing the dang thing. Which, great to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Honestly, kudos for that yeah. gold star just for that to get to that point it's incredible that they made it that far the crew wasn't sure whether or not to deploy the landing gear uh because again without hydraulics they couldn't do that i'm sorry what yeah. i didn't even think yeah it takes out all of the pressure in the hydraulic lines yes I did that did not occur to me yeah they ultimately decided that the gear would absorb some shock on impact but because there were no hydraulics, they had to manually lower the gear through a lever in the cockpit. Oh, they have a lever. That's yes. good. Yeah. Okay. So Fitch actually did that. He lowered it. That's good. Yeah. So um, that was good. Is what does 
is that a hard is it as hard as steering to manually do that or it's just no like, i mean i think it was really inconvenient and not yeah, fun okay. but no okay. i it does not require these sustained well because you it sounded like from what i read um you have to do like a small motion and then mm-hmm. gravity they're very obviously very heavy gravity pulls yeah. them down and kind of locks them mm-hmm. in place in that situation Gotcha. So that helped okay. them. So thankfully, I mean, they, they kind of panicked. Well, they didn't panic. They were worried for a moment about whether or not the landing gear would actually deploy. Thankfully, it did. I hope all modern day planes still have that feature because oh, really? sometimes things are like between even our cars are so computerized that sometimes I worry like, can I manually, am I manually driving <laughs> this car or is this a computer? Now for the really challenging part. The plane was originally given clearance to land on 9,000-foot runway 31 at the Sioux Gateway Airport. However, because of all of these right-hand turns the plane was making, lining up for that runway was now impossible. Instead, they were now somewhat in line with the 6,888-foot runway 22, which was a World War II-era runway that had been permanently closed a year earlier. Closed because it, like, was... Not suitable. Yes. F- I mean, because mm, that means it had been maintained. I'm like, because well, a year is like, it's recent enough where you're like, oh, how bad can it be? Yeah, I don't think they were landing DC-10s on it. P- probably not. That's probably a heavier plane. And who knows how much maintenance goes on in a year, but like yeah. with, with overgrowth and like it looks like to a runway. the concrete was cracked and it was overgrown uh, and yeah. There was a big yellow X painted at the front of it saying, don't go here, (laughs) do not enter. Yeah. No, no zone. All of the emergency vehicles had actually been lined up on that runway. And when the plan changed last minute, they were all very quickly evacuated. I was going to say they were all staged like right on the, oh my God. A nearby highway had also been cleared. But as soon as they told Captain Haynes that you could land on this highway, he was like, well, just passed it. So, nope. (laughs) can't do it's like that. when you miss your exit nope yeah, no i can't exactly. I cannot land on that one yeah now you can land on a high they they can clear highways i think they i don't think it was that busy at that point okay. but yeah i think they had people you know i think they said this highway is there if you think this is an option let us know <laughs> and we've i think they had people all around trying to figure out what was going to happen like where they could possibly land Because he, at one point, was saying, you know, when it was actually like, oh, my gosh, we're still in the air. We're actually Mm -hmm. trying to plan a landing. We don't know if it'll happen, but we're trying to plan for one. And he said he was being obviously very professional and cool as a cucumber the whole time. But at one point said, just get us away from the city. Just don't let us crash somewhere with a lot of people. Thankfully, in the area around the Sioux Gateway Airport is all cornfields. As is the case for many airports in the Midwest, (laughs) regional airports in the Midwest. Yes, exactly. Now, when landing aircraft, two of the most important things to be able to control are airspeed and sink rate. Mm -hmm. You want to control how fast you're going forward and how quickly you're going down. Without hydraulics, you can't deploy those handy little flaps on the wings, which happen to control both of those things. Of course. So when the aircraft was approaching the landing spot, it was going 410 kilometers an hour with a sink rate of a sorry 1,850 feet per minute. Also, uh, what about the brakes? 
uh, yeah, that is also something that you don't get to control. Okay. So a safe landing would have been 260 kilometers an hour with a 300 foot per minute sink rate. So again, we're going 410 kilometers per hour should be 260 with a sink rate of 1850 that should be 300. 1850. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, that's a lot. That's that is a um a lot of force on your landing gear. Oh boy, is it. Yeah. So, let's jump back to the cabin for a quick moment. Remember how I said there was a special on children's tickets that day? Oh, I sure do. That was yes, that put my stomach right up into my oh, you and me both. Yeah. Uh, well, while the crew were was doing everything in their power to control the aircraft and think of any possible way to get onto the ground in one piece, the flight attendants were walking the cabin trying to figure out how to protect the babies. Before the final approach, as I put mm-hmm. in air quotes, Captain Haynes announced to the passengers that they would be attempting an emergency landing and that before they made contact with the ground, a crew member would shout brace three times and that would be their cue. He concluded by saying, this is going to be the roughest landing you've ever had. I guess what else do you say to people who you're like, how do I prepare you for how extreme this is going to be without scaring you so that you can still think clearly and not be like out of your mind with panic? Yeah. Personally, every time I've been in a plane and a pilot has announced something like that, obviously not to this degree, but has announced. How many times has that been? I would say about four or five times I've been in a plane where a pilot has announced, we're going to experience severe turbulence. Please take your seats. That has happened to me more times than I would like. Obviously not to this degree. I'm not claiming that. But, but, okay, does the pilot actually say severe turbulence or is he like... Really? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> you man, you have the worst luck. With- <laughs> I'm not making it up. <laughs> I don't think you're making it up, but I do think that you are very afraid of flying and so I am just curious if maybe severe is a word that you add on when you hear it, especially in your memory. <laughs> I don't think I want to tell you the rest of the story. I need to know the ending. <laughs> you have to. That's the deal. Okay. The flight attendants, again, oh, sorry. The flight attendants, against literally anyone's instincts, instructed parents of lap children, so children who were sitting in their parents' lap, didn't have an actual mm-hmm. seat, to place them on the floor. What? Yeah. Like a bag. Uh, Yeah, under the seat. Mm-hmm. Um, And that is... I think it was okay. protocol. I think... What else are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Despite the unimaginable fear and anxiety, the cabin fell completely silent, and the passengers tried to prepare for what might come next. What else are you going to do? I mean, you could panic, but... What good does that do, anyone? It's, you know, these situations are not always about logic. It's, it uh, defies the, defies the laws of logic. Mm -hmm. You never know. A few minutes later, Captain Haynes announced to the passengers that there were four minutes to touchdown. With runway 22 miraculously in line the with the aircraft's path in view of it just ahead. And this is still the World War II? Mm-hmm. Okay. There was a surge of hope in the cockpit. With 112 seconds until touchdown, air traffic control said, United 232 heavy, the wind's currently 360 at 11, 360 at 11. You're cleared to land on any runway. Captain Haynes laughed and replied, you want to be particular and make it a runway? For a few minutes, the tension was eased, and those on the ground thought that the flight was as good as landed. There was hope, 
laughter, albeit nervous, but they had made it so much further than anyone would have anticipated given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. You're about to break my heart, aren't you? Shh, it'll be okay. Okay. At 400 feet, Captain Haynes noticed the excessive airspeed and sink rate, and out of fear of an explosive landing, he firewalled both engines. The left engine went to 96% power, while the right only reached 66%. At less than 100 feet above the ground, the right wing went from a bank of 2 degrees to more than 20. In less than a second, the right wing ripped through the runway, leaving an 18-inch deep scar through the old concrete. The plane slammed into the ground. The number two engine, along with the tail, snapped off and tumbled in one direction. The left engine, still going strong, causes the plane to rotate over and over. Uh, rotate in? Uh, like, horizontally. Like a cartwheel? No. Oh. Like... Uh, Not like the other disaster. Like no. uh, like a spinning like a top. Yes, exactly. The... Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, here's a quote from Fitch. When the tail broke off, the airplane is much heavier forward. So the airplane is now coming up in the air like a seesaw that somebody got off of. And the cockpit is getting pointed straight into the earth. And we skip like a pogo stick. The first skip, when I saw the windshield go dark brown and green... We were still integral to the aircraft, but the second skip, the stress caused the cockpit to break off like a pencil tip. Just the, and is he in the cockpit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, um, once you know, he had deployed the landing gear and he was Mm -hmm. there still offering his assistance for anything they could need because again, Mm -hmm. controlling the the plane to the degree that they were able to was exhausting. So he was trying to help hold control panels or the Sorry, the control sticks and mm-hmm. – or columns is what they're called, control columns. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so as they get closer, they – he's doing the same thing. He buckles in some of the pilots. He finds his own seat in the cockpit. Thankfully, they had a seat for him there, so he – Fly and jump. He's, like, in that yeah. little jump seat. Yeah. yeah. So he's still in the cockpit. Okay. A fireball engulfed a large portion of the cabin as seats were catapulted out of the fuselage. The hope that had begun to occupy the control tower evaporated into abject horror. The controller who'd been guiding Flight 232 collapsed to the ground after witnessing the crash. Despite thinking no one could have possibly survived such a grisly scene, rescuers raced to the wreckage. Here's a quote from one rescuer. We just sat there looking at all these dead people, and the most surreal thing I've ever seen in my life happened next. It actually looked like something from Night of the Living Dead, because many of these bodies all of a sudden started sitting up. What? Of the 296 people on board, Bailey, only 112 died. Stop. I mean, that's I mean, a, yeah, that's not a small number. high number, but it wasn't a total fatality. All four of wow. the crew, including Fitch, survived. And fully recovered. I feel like you almost never hear about pilots surviving. No, especially when they the the cockpit broke off into its own little projectile. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the plane sounds like it broke apart into a million little pieces. Yeah. Well, and this compared to the Dallas crash that we talked about. Yeah. This the like actual crash of it sounds a lot more violent. Yes. And I'm shocked that those are the numbers that we're seeing. The one rescuer said that when he started to see people sit up, kind of in shock, 
um, one businessman sat up, stood up, found his luggage, and left. Just left. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, it doesn't, your body does things that make sense, like in a logical, like in your brain, but in the context of the situation, you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. There, um, there's a lot of blunt force trauma, smoke inhalation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so that was, that was a lot of it. It was. I can't believe it. I know. I cannot believe it. The NTSB later determined that the probable cause of the accident was inadequate, this is what they say, inadequate consideration given to human factors and limitations in inspection and quality control procedures used by United's engine overhaul facility. Now, when I read that, the first couple of words really made me upset because it makes it sound like they, the people in the plane did something wrong, which is not true. No. They... What it came down, that's a lot of words just to say there was a fatigue crack in a critical area of the titanium alloy stage one fan disc that went undetected and resulted in an uncontrolled engine failure. And they're suggesting that it was due to lack of oversight on the maintenance, maintenance people's. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. Why don't they say that? I know. I, I know. It's. Okay. Yeah. So we had talked about this with the Aloha Airlines flight. Um, Mm -hmm. Fatigue cracks, metal fatigues, especially when it's heated up and cooled and like planes are fired up multiple times every day for a very, very long time. A very small crack doesn't take, uh, over time, will get much, much bigger. And when just things are moving that fast, it's like things that go wrong are amplified, magnified. Yeah. And they found um, this was a little over my head for part of it um any ntsb report is readily available to the public so if plane crash reports really set your heart on fire you can always find those but another big big problem with that is that because the failure in the engine was uncontained shrapnel flew off and cut lines for the hydraulic fluid which was ultimately the biggest issue. And in later, um, they did modify some DC-10s to keep that from happening. So if a line is compromised, it's not the entire line. Um, but again, that's not the only problem the DC-10 had. Yeah. Well, and I'm I, now I'm trying to remember in that disaster book that I recommended in previous episodes called Inviting Disaster, there is like... There's, I think, multiple DC-10 disasters because, like, a major mm-hmm. vulnerability in the design is the fact that those lines run through the belly. Yeah. Like, right through the belly. And so, like, say, in one disaster, um, you know, it's you put all of your checked bags down there. And so if you have something like compressed air that explodes, like a gas canister, mm-hmm. and it explodes under the plane, it takes out all of this critical... Yeah infrastructure in your plane there are lots of reasons why the dc-10 is not flown anymore yeah 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 this is really interesting 
During the NTSB investigation, there were many reconstructions of the accident in flight simulators like they usually do. Not a single expert was able to get anything even remotely as successful as this result. Like, when you say simulators, do they model it on a computer or mm-hmm. do they, like, literally fly no, no, no. it in a... these are on computers. Okay. <laughs> no. Gotcha. Well, no, no, no. I mean, not, not fly it in a plane, but, like, they put, upload it to a oh. simulator that a pilot then yeah. flies. Like, yeah, when you're yeah, training they were doing pilots. That. I see. Yes. Okay. It's not like you, you put it in your computer, you hit run, and the computer does it for you. These are, like, actual pilots yes. who are trying to recreate... Yeah. From the, what from what I read, that was my understanding, is that these were gotcha. flight simulators. Wow. And there were no survivable landings, and most never even made it to a landing scenario. They all, like, inverted or banked so hard that something else happened, and yeah. So, as a result of this crash, newer aircraft now have hydraulic fuses that isolate a compromised section to prevent a total loss of hydraulics, like Flight 232. Great. So, obviously newer than 1989. Yeah. Assuming they didn't, like, retrofit a bunch of... I wonder. I will forever look at my planes that I'm on now and be like, when were you (laughs) Yeah, that is for sure. Um, Yeah, so that is the disastrous flight of 232. That is incredible. I did not see any of it coming. Mm -hmm. Any of... I mean... When you hear about like such a disaster of that magnitude in the sky, it's it, immediate. Um, y- you know, your mind goes to the worst, and not that this wasn't, you know, horrific. Oh yeah, with all of the casualties. But again, to not be the fact that it didn't just become a lead weight in the air the second that happened. Yeah, is, like, incredible. The fact that they didn't just immediately. Oh my gosh, plummet. Yeah, is insane. The those crew members are wow and just absolutely incredible yeah and the guy who helped out mm-hmm. and passengers who were calm cool and collected yes absolutely and from what i saw a very large portion of the children survived good yes i know yeah anything having to do with children is mostly a no-go zone for me but the rest of the story was too good yeah too Incredible. Too, yeah. Too just, yeah, mind-boggling. Wow. Well, thank you to whoever suggested this. So sorry, Madison. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. We are going to keep better track of who requests these. Bailey will do a better job in the future. You have I to will do a better she... job. Yes, thank you. Thanks for throwing me under the bus. This is a team effort. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's all she wrote. Well, thank you, Moo. This is was a very harrowing discussion. Did I use that right? Acutely distressing. Yes. This was an acutely distressing (laughs) (laughs) retelling of this disaster, but... That sure was. I live to set you on edge. Uh, Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished this time around. Well, thank you. And thank you to our best friends who tune in every week or whenever you can. We appreciate it. Heck yeah, we do. Thank you for listening this week. We've so enjoyed our time together with you. (laughs) In your ears. (laughs) Uh, All right, sign us out, boo. That's all from (laughs) Calamity James. We'll catch you next. What do you mean sign us out? We don't have like a sign. Do we need to sign out? No, we don't have a sign off. You know what? If anybody else has ideas for a sign off, 
please let us know. Email us. Our email, along with show notes, and everything else you might need to or want to know about us is always in the show notes. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>